mindfulness mode for 80. And it wasn't always the name White Eagle, but it was like this indigenous shaman medicine man inside of me. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have a feeling you are just going to love being immersed in the conversation we're about to have. I have a fabulous author on this show today who's able to allow the book to be channeled through her onto the page. And it was fascinating to read this book called The Second Wave. And I'm sure you are going to love it as well. You can get it on Kindle. You can order it, of course, on Amazon. So exciting to have Carrie Hummingbird with me today. Carrie, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in mindfulness mode, you know, and sometimes I call it mind empty. Yes, I do know. Mind empty can be a good thing. (laughs) Well, Mindful Tribe, let me share a little bit about Carrie with you. Carrie Hummingbird is a soul guide, a channel of and an embodiment of White Eagle. And White Eagle is an ascended master who specializes in rainbow light activation of human DNA. Carrie has served as a social activist, a leader, a philanthropist. I can't even say it. (laughs) Whatever that word is. (laughs) Yeah, whatever that word is. I used to be able to say that word like two minutes before the show started. (laughs) That's funny. And for over three decades, she's done all this activism and all this work. She's the founder of the Skills Not Pills movement and host of Soul Nectar Podcast. Carrie inspires people, and when I say that, I really mean it. She inspires people to lead their lives wide awake with an authenticity, a passion, and a purpose. So Carrie, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me means being able to get mind empty enough to listen. So it's like being still as much as you can be to become aware of what's happening, not only in your mind, but like in your body, like in your cells, in your breath, in the moment, in the relationship, in the projection, in the discomfort, in the icky that you're feeling or not feeling. Like, it's like being able to kind of go through your life aware of all of that and not holding on to any of it at the same time and listening, like listening to everything. Like there's a lot of listening that happens. And then there's a flow that happens in that state. So that was a lot I just said, just let that, what do you think about that? (laughs) I think that's awesome. I think that I was fascinated when I was reading your book, The Second Wave, because you started talking about how you went on a search for your grandfather and what that was like. Why did you do that? What moved you to the search for your grandfather? It was actually my grandmother. Oh, my mistake. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. But I felt this really deep inner alignment with Native American tradition. And if you're watching me, I mean, I'm redheaded, you know, so I don't look like that, right? But I do have Cherokee in my lineage. And I've just felt an alignment there. Like I feel an alignment with nature. I feel an alignment with drums and drumming and like all the things, you know, the Native American traditions, I just feel aligned there. 
And I couldn't really explain that except that I have this ancestor, right? So I thought, okay, well, I just need to get connected with that. And I couldn't in the third dimension because my grandmother back around the time of the Trail of Tears, she could pass for white. So, you know, she found a white man and married him, Mm -hmm. which was her decision. But as a result, we lost her name. We lost on the rolls. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to navigate that, how to find that. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to find somebody that's really good at going beyond the veil, like going through the fifth dimension to talk to the ancestors and connect me that way. And I don't think that I was ever disconnected per se. I think it was just that I needed a bridge. I needed somebody to bridge me, you know, into that next space. So actually I went to the Cherokee uh, village, which is a replica village in, uh, in Cherokee in the mountains there. And I didn't actually get connected that first time. Like there was no success. I asked around, but I didn't really get anything. But the second time I went, which is two years later, I went with my sons. My grandmother had just died, a a different grandmother. My stepdad's mom had just died. And we were coming back through. And I said, you know what? I want to go back again. I want to try again. And I did. I went to one person and the next person and the next person and the next person. And I got connected with somebody who said, I'll help you. It's fine. You're like crying and you're really upset. Cause by now I'm feeling like really like I, this is something missing and I need to find it. Mm-hmm. Like I need to get it yeah. back. And he was, he'd see that. And so Bruce was his name and he said, okay, I'll meet you on the parking lot. So I start walking out to go and wait in the parking lot. He's going to be 15 minutes or something with my sons. And I started walking away and I feel this like softball size piece of energy, just like it got flung at me through the back of my head, like where your neck meets the back of your head there. Like there's, there's a portal called the mouth of God, actually, which I did not know at the time. I did nothing about that, but I felt this energy come in and then all of a sudden I could like see the trees breathing (laughs) and I felt dizzy and like expanded and really weird, you know? So I sat down, I said, I got to sit down. I don't know what's going on with me but I need to sit down. And that started like the six year journey, seven year journey of like integrating this energy. Like, what is this? And of course, Bruce met with me, you know, and the whole time I'm sitting there talking to him, I'm kind of chattering on about my story. And this other voice was saying to me, too many thinking. (laughs) That's when that voice started. Right. (laughs) Too many thinking. And I became aware of this chatterbox. Uh It's like just telling a story, just this egoic self. And I became aware of this other thing. I was saying, no, too many thinking. So it was so interesting to me. It's been unpacking. It's been an unfolding and unpacking of this inner awareness of like, what was that that came in? Who am I now? Is it me? Is it an ancestor? Is it something I'm healing? And it definitely felt like something I was healing because I started going into this healing. Like I had to heal this part of me that was now part of me. I had to heal this. So it's a lot of inner exploration. It's very fascinating. It's been a fascinating journey. It really is fascinating. And I noticed that we have a lot of mutual friends because you have your show, your podcast, Soul Nectar. And I noticed you've had Anita Sanchez on. Who I just I oh, love Anita. Oh, so do I. I just absolutely loved interviewing her and reading her book. And, and as soon as I started learning about you, I thought you two are just two peas in a pod. You're just so connected. You know, yeah, she's amazing. I love her very much, and we understand each other greatly. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, tell us about White Eagle. I mean, it was fascinating reading about White Eagle in the book and how you stumbled upon White Eagle. Tell us the story. 
So White Eagle, it started coming to me in waves, like through this healing process. Like the first step is this, like this energy through the back of my skull, right? Yeah. Which I don't even know what that is, but I can see in the trees breathe now and those kind of different perception is coming in. And then I started hearing this guide that was saying too many thinking. Who is this? And I started becoming aware of that. And then I started working with, you know, healers and clairvoyance and, and I was going to energy medicine school. So I was training with the four winds light body school, which is the school of Alberto Vialdo was doing training there. And so we were already working in, in self-healing and modalities of, you know, aligning to your soul and things like that. So during that process, things kept coming up about white Eagle, white Eagle, this, that, you know, this, and it wasn't always the name white Eagle, but it was like this indigenous shaman medicine man inside of me that needed to heal this deep grief over the trail of tears, like had made a decision that then felt, you know, like the weight of the world was on him about this decision to hold peace because he was the peace chief. And so all these waves of information start to come through and I'm feeling like there's tremendous grief that seems beyond me. Like it just seems like it's too much for me. Like this can't, my life can't be that screwed up. It's because I started thinking to myself. Because for a while I thought, wow, I'm really screwed up because I've got all this sadness and grief and anger and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't even know where all this is coming from. I know my life's been a little screwy and I've had to do some healing and understanding of that. But this seems beyond that. This seems bigger. And I started realizing and I started seeing him in visions. And then I started seeing him like, doing drum journey, like during drum journeys and things like that, I would see him in front of me. He would say, just give me the drumstick. Just let me drum. Like, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was getting confirmed with all these psychics and people I would talk and me, what is going on with this? You know, who is this? But I kept doing this deep healing. And I even started doing some autonomic writing with him, which I didn't talk about in the book, but I would do this autonomic writing where I'd be like, okay, what do you want? And he would be like, I want my tribe. I want, I want my tribe. I want my tribe. And I'd be like, well, okay, but you have to lead the tribe. You know, are you ready to lead the tribe? No, I'm not ready. So there was this back and forth in this conversation that was happening with this aspect of self and this healing. And it was like, he was helping me heal and I was helping him heal because I'd had all this trauma and things going on through my life so far. So it's like, we were helping each other. I've had many mystical moments with him where It's like we'd be, you know, we're unifying together, like the masculine and the feminine together. And then uh, the part that really kind of blew my mind was that I, well, I'll back up and tell this part of the story and then I'll tell the, the part I think you're thinking about is that my dad died. So my stepdad had been just a huge, huge force of light in my life from the time I was five. And it'd been very traumatic before that. But then he showed up and he put order to chaos. And he just came in and master teacher, really beautiful, beautiful guide, lovely person. And, and he was the kind of man, you know, when he entered the room, everybody wouldn't want to go talk to my dad. He was the kind of man, if he entered the room, all the dogs would go crawl up in his lap. You know, mm-hmm. like he was that guy. And, um, you know, and, and everybody sort of crawled up in his lap. You know, they all wanted to gather around my dad and hear what he thought. So that was my dad. and. I just thought my dad's amazing. So right about the time that I'm doing all this healing and I know I've got a big purpose, I feel it within me. I've, I know that I've got important things to do. I've got to get them done. And I had this urgency about it. Like, well, I got to do it now. And, and maybe some of the listeners also have felt that. Like, I've got a big purpose. It's really important. I need to do it now. Like, let's get the show on the road. It has to happen. Tell me what it is. I'm ready to go. I've like, got my 
you know, yeah, ready to march, you know? And so I had that ready to march feeling and things were about to open up or they're about to open up, but then they wouldn't. And they would about to open up and they wouldn't. I was like having this meditation one day on the way to another healing uh, training, which I didn't really need, but I, I just like them. So I wanted to go get trained in another modality. So I'm going out. I'm taking a moment to meditate before I drive. And I have this really expansive meditation, the kind where there's no more thought and you're just really out there in the universe and you're just like tingling and sparkling. And I had that kind of meditation. Right. And then I heard the guides say, she's not ready. And I fired up and I'm like, I am ready. You know, like, <laughs> don't say that about me. I am. And it felt like they were like, discussing something or deciding or something like that. And then the meditation ended and I started driving to my retreat. And a couple hours later, my mom called. I, I looked on the phone. I saw my mom called and I called her back and she's like, Carrie, you got to come home. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like all the way to my, I'm almost at my retreat. And she's like, yeah, dad's in the hospital and he's dying. And if you, you want to see him again, you need to come home. Oh, wow. He had this like last minute out of the blue, of course, pneumonia thing. It just like came on and bam, like a freight truck. So I turned around, I drove all the way back 15 hours and I, and I got there at four 30 in the morning, got to spend several hours with my dad by his bedside and, you know, listening to him and, and my brain, like we were taking a, like a life review as I was dozing and he was dozing. We actually were in the mental space, like in the imagination, imagination space, the fifth dimension, like actually having a life review. And he was reminding me of, you know, I told you this, I showed you this, like taking the whole journey with me. It was beautiful, Bruce. It was like gorgeous. And then the next morning wow. he was gone. Wow. And this is like soul agreements. This is what I talked about in the book. Right. I did not realize it at that moment, but later on I realized I had a sneaking suspicion that I didn't want to admit because that would make me feel guilty. So I did have a sneaking suspicion right then that this is what had happened. And I was feeling a little guilty about it because my mom. But really later on, actually about three days before I published the book, The Second Wave, <laughs> mm -hmm. I had a medicine ceremony, a plant medicine ceremony. And in the ceremony, he actually full on came in, in presence with me in a conversation, in a dialogue, White Eagle, and said, who do you think's been training you this whole time? Who do you think's your ally on the other side when you're about to do your big work in the world? Oh, dang. Wow. And then you just connected like all the dots, all the little threads. You know the little threads that you get yes. that you just discard? Like you get it and then you throw it away? Yeah. Or it goes back under the waves? He just pulled them all out like a big tapestry, like a constellation. I was, it was mind blowing. And I, and he's like, you better put my name on the book because you don't have very much authority or credibility right now. <laughs> and you could use a little, so put my name on the book. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. My, you know, my 20 years high tech person is going, you're going to do what? <laughs> The one in my brain that's used to the third dimensional reality and how people think about things is going, you're gonna, you want me to do what? This is, oh, okay, I'm gonna lose all credibility now, <laughs> you know, but I'm gonna get a different credibility. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, yeah, so it definitely it was a really powerful experience. And, and I didn't even have time to integrate it because like three days later, the book is published. And, you know, I had added that initial section to, because I said, I, 
he, Whitey Eagle actually told me you don't even, you don't even need to put that in there. But I, but Carrie Hummingbird put it in there because I felt like I needed to explain it. You know, I needed to explain all the pieces. I couldn't just let it go out like that. Fascinating. Fascinating. Let's talk about rainbow light activation. What's that? So, well, rainbow light is the highest frequency light. You know, it's, um, I picked up some rainbow light activation, you know, of course on my path led me all the places I needed to be. As it turns out, the Caro shamans from Peru are the keepers of the rainbow lagoon. So there's this rainbow lagoon that's in Asengate, holy, their holy mountain in Peru. And it's up at like 16,500 feet. And so they have shamans that actually live up there and protect the rainbow lagoon because it's a portal, like it's an activated portal of rainbow light. So when I was up there, I went on, I just so happened to be called to go to Asagate. Of course, right? Of course. I knew in my heart I needed to go. So I went, I didn't know how I was going to afford it, but whatever, it all happened. And I went there and the night before I walked up there, Alberto Vialdo, because it was his group that went up there. He's in a tent the night before and he's, he gave me an extra hard time. He didn't give anybody else a hard time, but he poked at me and he's like, well, Carrie, you know, if you can't make it all the way to the rainbow lagoon and back, then everybody has to turn around and nobody gets to go. Whoa. Talk about pressure. I know. And he's like, <laughs> are you sure you can make it? Cause you're, you've been having a little trouble lately. And I actually was not having trouble, but he put that thought in my mind and I had to, it was like an initiation. I feel like he did it on purpose. Oh uh, yeah to initiate me, right? To Uh the claim. Right. Because in the other life on the Trail of Tears, I had been in so much responsibility and for all these people. And in that lifetime, I couldn't handle it. I actually couldn't watch the devastation. I couldn't be present with it. It was too much for me. So this was another opportunity. So I got to forgive myself on the way up there. But anyway, yeah. So I went all the way up to the top to the Rainbow Lagoon and I sang a song to the Rainbow Keeper, which is, you know, an energetic being of light that lives up there. Mm-hmm. And I just sang a song to this beautiful being and I connected with it and we're like good friends now. When I was coming down off of that, the next day we did a, just the final despacho with the Carol Shaman. And I brought a bunch of stones down because not everybody made it up there. Okay, not everybody could go. They couldn't physically do it. Right. So I collected a bunch of stones up there and I offered them. I said, okay, whoever couldn't make it is my gift to you. Like you have a piece of the rainbow lagoon. Sure. And the Carol Shaman started saying something and I couldn't understand it because my Spanish still, I need to work on my Spanish. And my friend translated and she said, oh, they think you're the rainbow keeper. I go, rainbow keeper. Cool. And so I dismissed it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no? yeah. That was one of those bits I just put under the, I was like, okay, whatever. But actually after that, I started channeling these rainbow light activations. So you were asking about the rainbow light. The rainbow light activation is actually like, it's from another place. You know, it's from source or something. It's like, it's rainbow light that comes down and it's like a waterfall of it. And it actually upgrades every single cell DNA strand of your being. Like it's actually healing all the human strains of suffering that we've had up until now, because we're moving into another whole reality. Like we're, we're, we're shifting this reality. We're shifting into a whole nother potential now of like, what's this Maserati capable of? Not like how broken is it? You know, we've been yeah. exploring the, how broken this Maserati is. Right, you know? right. We're moving into like, what's this thing capable of? Like, oh my goodness, like, what can we possibly do with this Maserati? Like, how fast can it go? Can it fly? Can it go under the water? You know, like, how psychic is it? Like, we're, we're, so there's a lot of 
you know, reconfiguring, reprogramming of the DNA that, you know, and our understanding that has to happen, our cellular memory and all of that. So the rainbow light actually comes down through all that and brings the, the, the ascension codes that would support you in making that transition in your own life, opening the book of destiny, closing the book of faith. So you are a philanthropist. So let's talk about that aspect of what you do. Yeah. So I would say that there are many philanthropists on the earth at this time. There are many people that do lots of work all night long in their sleep for the whole planet. And they're called the second wave <laughs> and probably others, right? But right. there's like 10% of the planet that does this work, right? Right now in the second wave. And then there's also the first wave, which came before, which did tons of work to build the inroads for all the teachings and learnings that we would need in order to activate into the second wave. So, and then we're paving the way for the third wave and cause they're, they're like so pure and beautiful. You know, they really have connection. They, they know love in the purest in a higher vibration than maybe has been present here. So philanthropy for me is like that work that you do that you don't even know you're doing it or, you know, but you're doing it all night long mm -hmm. and you, and you're just giving. So you're a philanthropist too, because mindfulness mode, that's what that is. Right. You just feel the call to do it because you know, you need to get the messages out there. Yes. And you're not attached to the outcome. It's like, it's, you're doing it because somebody is going to listen and it's going to help them. So I've been doing that kind of work for my whole life. Like I just showed up doing that. It just whatever way I can pitch in or use my gifts or, you know, I find myself in leadership positions all the time and I just, I can't have to just step in, you know, because that spot's waiting for me to step in and like do something with it and organize people. So, and I haven't like monetarily, a lot of people judge things like how much money did I get for that? That usually hasn't panned out for me in that way. Like that's not the reward that I get from it. Right. That's just doesn't seem, I'd be a billionaire right now if that was the case, but I just do it because it's like, feels good. It's the right thing to do. I feel the call. Sometimes I have the inner resistance to doing the thing and I overcome that and I do it anyway. And then I always feel better at the end of the day. So I think that is really the definition of a philanthropist. Like you see the work that needs to get done. Like Anita Sanchez, you see the work that gets, needs to get done and you do the work. You apply yourself and you get in there and you do what you're being called to do. And that's how the way it was with your book, The Second Wave. You just knew that you needed to do it and you channeled that whole book. We talked a moment about that before I hit record. Can you tell us how mindful that was, that experience of actually channeling that book? Yes. I had to get myself, when I say, you know, we have many aspects of self, so let me be clear. My personality needed to be in the background in order for White Eagle to flow through the wisdom through me into the book. Now, what facilitated that is decades and decades of being a writer. Like I had 20 years as a high-tech communications and writer for Silicon Valley. So I'd already forged the channel within myself of words, of like the right words. So that part, you know, I would say the personality did that part, you know, did the work of building the canal. Sure. And then, then the river flows through the canal and that's the spirit. So like I asked this question, you know, what can I take, Carrie Hummingbird personality, what can I take credit for? And the answer was, you can take credit for doing the work to build the inner resiliency and the, and the canal and filling your bucket with good information. You know? Yeah. That's what you take credit for. And now hand it over because <laughs> it was, you know, and that's kind of like what we do. We hand it over then. And then it be, the flood comes through. The flood of the spirit 
flows through. So when I was writing that book, I knew that I needed to be in a space where my personality felt, okay, I'm seen, I'm witnessed, I'm loved, I'm held, I'm safe. Great. Now I can, I'm willing to step in the background and allow this flood to come through. And then the spirit comes through. And as I'm writing, which is a, a, cause I channel a lot, you know, I channel with clients, I channel on the phone, I channel in groups, you know, that it just happens naturally. I'm just listening. And then the words come in and I just start speaking them without knowing what I'm saying. And luckily I record a lot of it. So <laughs> if I can listen to it, yeah. <laughs> cause I, I'm like, really, do I even know that? But it comes through and the same thing for the book, like it just, it flows through onto the page. And then I'm reminding my personality, don't look at the words. Don't try to read it right now. Like, so there's different aspects of self that are coordinated to facilitate that transmission into a physical form. And how long did it take for this book to come together? Four months. Wow, that's quick. It was like, bam. Yeah, that's like I would quick. sit for five hours and just, it would just come out or like two hours, however long my personality could stand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie. It's amazing though. Oh, it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I want to <laughs> ask really you. It's really cool. Oh, well, reading the book is cool. And it's cool <laughs> knowing, it. knowing that you were able to channel this whole thing. And the book is just, is so clearly communicated. You know, well, what I found is that like, I would feel the words. I don't know if I feel the words. I'm trying to explain. Like I feel the energy or the transmission, like the consciousness, I feel the consciousness that wants to come through. And then that consciousness would have like, then I'd be like this translation process of like what words expresses that consciousness, like what words expresses that stream. And then that trans, that would happen and filter in and go to my fingers. In the book you talked about, have you always felt like an outsider? Have you felt like that person that doesn't quite belong where you are? Do you think there are more of us that resonate with that feeling than you would first imagine? Yes. There are a lot of people that have had that feeling and then they've like stuffed it down right? and told themselves that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like you have a father, you have a mother, you have a home, you have a, like they just like negate it and suppress it or think it's weird and not want to confess it because other people don't seem to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Until you say it, Bruce, like, you know, from your show, yes, when you speak it out loud, other people go, oh my God, I've always felt that way. How come? Thank you for saying it. Yeah. I thought it was the only one. I thought it was weird. I thought, no, like that. And it was brave to say all those things, right? Because my personality self's going, man, you are, you thought it was, you thought you had it when you put Carrie Hummingbird on LinkedIn. Just wait now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're really going to think you're crazy now. So. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's amazing though. It's like, because you, when you read it, you know, it's true. That's the thing I love about it. People read that and they cry. Like if it's true for them, they read that and they absolutely, they cry. They, they highlight it. It's that meaningful because it's like the truth just went, bam. That's right. I forgot. I had earth amnesia and I completely forgot who I actually am. I got lost in this strange little matrix. You know, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So true. <laughs> One of the things you say is it's time to liberate yourself from the shackles of a dehumanized world. Yes. Like, oh, wow. So powerful. And it is a dehumanized world, isn't it? It is. It's funny because we're here to be human. But what does human mean? And human, I think in the ultimate expression, like if we go to the purest expression of what humanity, of the design of the blueprint, you know, if we go and access the blueprint of what 
divine intelligence intended for humanity. I cannot believe that it meant all of this stuff, you know, that we witness in the world today. I know that people have different ways of processing the polarity on earth. And I'm aware that many people have made justifications or ways of thinking to explain away why it is that we have so much suffering on the planet and to find a way to be okay with it and come to peace with it as, as if it's some kind of like, you know, inner champion, you know, like, oh, I'm going to wear my badge of honor or my scar with pride. But I really, at the end of the day, if you really honestly just took a moment and checked in with what was the design, the intended design of humanity, I cannot believe that's the end. Of, that's not the end of the story. That's not it. That's, that might be a piece of the story, but it's the smallest little piece because the grand plan, the capacity of humanity is incredible. It so far surpasses this petty little stuff, this petty, painful stuff that we've been experiencing on the planet. What have your sons taught you about all this? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, being a mother is uh, the most vulnerable experience ongoing because you can feel them. Like as a mother, you feel your children. You You never stop feeling them. You can always feel them. So you can feel everything they're going through. And what it's taught me in layers, it was first like how to take control and take care of them, like be mindful and take care of this other human being that's defenseless and vulnerable and needs support, right? So you've got to do that part. Mm -hmm. But then you got to start releasing that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I face your fear that they're going to get in hurt and things are going to happen. Yeah, because things are going to happen. (laughs) They are. And so then you've got to start learning about that part. How old are your boys now? They're almost 17. And 20. Okay. And it's been a constant journey, like of unexpected things, like feelings and and words and things you didn't think that they would misunderstand. And then watching them and seeing, you know, like you're like lying and things like that happen and all these things happen, right? Like all the lessons in life and just watching it all happen and being, and being able to gauge like, what's the moment that they're ready for me to inject this little insight and waiting for it. And it's so uncomfortable sometimes to wait for that. Yeah, waiting. It means you're listening to them suffer and you have to be with it. And that's the planet right now. Like that really is the experience on the planet right now. It's like the second wave has been here experiencing what it means to be human and empathizing with it and having compassion from it from the inside out this whole up until now experience of what it means to be human and waiting for the moment. And now is the moment. And everyone knows now is the time. Cause if you've been tuned in, like you've been hearing that message for like a couple of years now, now is the time, now is the time, now is the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you now is the time, <laughs> what are we doing? And that now is the time. Well, now we're raising it up to the conscious level. So that is the same thing with the children. You know, you're, there's a lot of children's souls on the planet. So it's the same analogy. It's like, when are they ready for the next piece? When are they ready for the next? Because until they're ready, it's not going to work. It has to get painful, unfortunately, up until now in this paradigm in order for them to, to learn. And so we were transitioning out of that model where it has to hurt to learn, you know, but we're still in the model while we're transitioning out of the model. 
Lisa Winston is another mutual friend of ours, and I interviewed her on episode 304. So Mindful Tribe, you can you can hear her interview, mindfulnessmode.com slash 304. But she absolutely loved your book. And she said, Hallelujah. <laughs> it was just yeah, it was just so funny. She said, she said, your book is a resounding and joyful hallelujah for this long-awaited and much needed guide for healers and light workers. I mean, you know, she's just completely on the same page. She totally gets you and gets your book. And I just thought your book was phenomenal. And I can't wait to go back to it and back to it and back to it because it keeps on speaking. It does. I have to go back to it too because I, you know, carry you personality. I got to keep learning from it too. Right, yeah. I'm in the middle of all the same lessons in the book. So it's, I haven't mastered it, right? Like that's the master. White Eagle is the master. And part of White Eagle is in me, but also I am learning too. So there is this way of like this collaboration. I've got to work through all the lessons just like everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much to learn, so much to immerse ourselves into. And and sometimes when we think we've done that, we've really only hit the very tip of the iceberg, if that. surface. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool that you've put all this together and made this, this something that we can all drink from. This is really, really fantastic. Um, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in this field for a long time, for over a decade, and I always ask a question related to this. Have you ever been bullied, Carrie, or have you ever experienced this in one way or another where you would have a story to share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah. So I actually have been bullied quite a bit. (laughs) Which story to pick? Hmm. Well, so a safe story to pick is I've been bullied. I was bullied when I first moved to this new town, when I was going into junior high and I was 12 at the time. And as soon as I showed up at the town, this boy liked me. And so I started, you know, dating him. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out he had a girlfriend. Her name was, you know, we'll say L because I don't want to call her out. So L was there, and she didn't like this, obviously. No. <laughs> and Elle was very tough. Elle had a lot of muscle and she was very tough and she, you know, she knew how to fight and people were afraid of her. So I started going to the bus stop and one day Elle got like a hundred people together to like come to the bus stop and watch me get beat up oh, by nice. her. I dodged it and then the, the I managed just magically dodged it and the bus came, but that wasn't the end, right? Because Elle is not satisfied because right. Elle wants to get me. Uh-huh. So later on that day, friend rings the doorbell. I open the door. He coaxes me outside. And who rounds the corner as soon as I'm outside but Elle? And in that moment, and I think it's because of this soul guide I've had my whole life, this white eagle, something in me dropped deep. And I just knew I'm not going to avoid this. And I'm not going to compromise my integrity and my ethics in this moment either. So this power like came inside me. And I just stood and I looked at her. And she was angry. And I said, I really see you're angry. I mean, this is me at 13 or 12. (laughs) I like, where did this come from? I really see you're angry. And um, I see, and she, and I see you want to fight. That's not who I am. I don't fight. But if you want to punch me, go right ahead. If it'll make you feel better, that's fine. So she punched me. And then I was like, great. I hope you feel better now. And it hurt, you know, but I was, but this other thing was bigger inside me. She wasn't good enough. Then she really wanted to attack me. So I ran into the house because, you know, she didn't get the the thing she wanted, like the right. negative energy back. Sure. 
So I ran into the house. I called the police. Well, what happened was the police came. I told them what happened. And then they went to her house. Now, Elle's father used to beat her regularly, Uh which is how Elle learned how to beat up people. So he beat the daylights out of her after the cops left and then brought her over to my house to apologize to my family and to me. She took me outside and she said, can you please come outside with me? And I was like, thinking, oh, I'm going to beat me up. <laughs> okay. And so I, but now she's, she's submissive now. So yeah. I, I went outside with her and I said, what's going on? And she said, I want to apologize to you. And I need you to be my friend because if you're not my friend and you don't forgive me, my father will beat me again. And he's already beaten me really badly before I came over here. And he'll do it again if you don't forgive me. And so I want to ask you to be my friend. And I said, I'm happy to be your friend. And I gave her a hug. That I think is the secret to really understanding why people bully is because they've been trained and domesticated to bully. And they think that that is the, that, that is power is that power over someone else. And really it's fear. It's a lot of fear that there's scarcity and that you're taking something from them that they want, or they're intimidated by you in some way. And they need to prove themselves to other people to get some sense of power. And um, I think that we can stand, and I would call that courageous heart, which is the last chapter of the book. I think we can stand in our open, courageous, loving hearts and know when someone is doing that, that they're coming from some really deep conditioning that's probably ancestral. That's why they're acting the way that they act. But that underneath all that crust is a beautiful soul that's crying out for help. I totally believe that. I totally believe that, Carrie. What an incredible story and what a turn of events that happened. Nobody would have thought of that. And I didn't talk bad about her or anything. So the whole thing just faded away and I never actually really saw her again. Ah, so interesting. Carrie, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? One person, my dad. Uh, Yeah, he sounds like a great man. Yeah, he's amazing. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um, It's helped me to deal with them (laughs) because I've learned, and actually I love, I love uh, human design type because it really explains a lot of things, but I'm emotionally centered. And so I need to come to stillness before I react or like try to resolve a situation. And I have to come to stillness first till the emotions pass and then I get clarity. And if I had known that when I was, you know, I mean, I did really good at that story I just told you, but I also had lots of other stories where I let the emotions really get a hold of me and like swing me out into some crazy behavior. Right. So if I had known, hey, you're emotionally centered, you need to like come to stillness before you have your sanity back and you know the next step. <laughs> that would have been really helpful information. So um, yeah, I, mindfulness helps me to come to stillness so that I can let the tide of emotions sweep through me and then I can know the truth. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Well, I stopped breathing a lot. I realized at one point, right as I was going up Azangate, you know, going to a really high peak mountain is a really good exercise in breathing. <laughs> yes. You realize like when you're holding your breath, actually, when you have to be breathing because otherwise you'll die because that's high altitude. So I had been working on deep breathing uh, leading up to that event. And um, as I was hiking, 
up the mountain, which is really hard to do at altitude. I was really mindful about how many times I would stop breathing because I started thinking about something. So that is a good exercise. If anybody out there is facing an active mind and then it makes you stop breathing because you're thinking about the thing that is in your mind and then you stop breathing and then you wonder why you feel anxious and your body's saying, hey, I don't have any oxygen right now. You know, like you're trying to kill me. Maybe start breathing. So I think it's breathing is essential for your body to feel safe. No, it's really important. Deep breathing. It sure is. I totally agree. Your book, Carrie, The Second Wave, is amazing. And Mindful Tribe, you know, definitely check out Carrie's website, CarrieHummingbird.com. And Carrie is K-E-R-R-I, Hummingbird, spelled the regular way, CarrieHummingbird.com. And check out Carrie's book which is called The Second Wave. But Carrie, are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Well, my first book I wrote is called Awakening to Me. And that tells the story of like the ins and the outs of how I pulled myself from total mental chatter out into being a healer because that was the two-year journey that I documented. That one has a lot of helpful tips in there and things along the way if you identify with any part of that. It's really awful when your brain won't shut up and you don't know what to do about it. That's like the most painful experience. So I I really sympathize with that. Also, one of my other favorite books is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh my goodness, what an amazing book. So simple. Hand it out to every third grader, please. It's a great book. It is. I love that book. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) And then I love the I love the work of Paul Selig because I really feel he's done channeled work of the I am presence. And I feel like a lot of this mental chatter and a lot of this struggle with being, you know, peaceful has to do with the energetics and has to do with lifting ourselves out of a density and into a higher place. And that work I have found to be very effective in doing that for me anyway. So I, I like that book. I like those series of books quite a bit. All right. Well, thanks for all that. And I'll put it in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And are there any apps that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? Well, I think that any meditation apps are helpful. I would actually recommend drum journey music. Like if people have not experimented with drum journey music yet, that is another avenue that's really helpful because the drum actually quiets your mind out of beta into alpha. And Sandra Ingerman has a really great CD of them called Soul Journeys. And that's just, I love those. I think they're, they're only 15 minutes a piece and they really help your brain, you know, get out of that weird beta state and back into like theta alpha state where you can do some soul dreaming and, you know, interact with, with something bigger than you, which is so much more pleasant sometimes. <laughs> you have a little spaciousness inside of you. What a great suggestion. Yes, that can can be an awesome experience. Well, it's been an awesome experience talking with you, Carrie. And thank, thank you, you, Bruce. Yeah, thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode. Thank you for having me. I really, and I really appreciate you saying all the things you said about the book and that it helped you. I was very grateful for that. And I'm so grateful to have been on the show and hopefully I helped everybody out there with some new information that they didn't have yet. So Yeah, for sure. And if you're at the end of the podcast listening and you've forgotten the website, remember... Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. So check out the website and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. I'm sure you will. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you, Bruce. All the best. Bye now. 
Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. I have a free downloadable gift for you, Mindful Tribe. The Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. With more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.